Hey guys. Hey everybody. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Chase. And this is Crime with a K. With another episode. Whoop whoop. Whoop whoop. This is our, we're recording on Friday, but tomorrow, Saturday, we're recording our first video one. Yeah, she's nervy. I'm so scared. I'm not. Well, because you like, (laughs) you just chill. Well, yeah. And like, I don't need an outfit. I'm going to wear my Crocs. Yeah. Be prepared for the camo Crocs. They're making their debut. They're awesome. And if you're a hater... You gotta get yourself a pair. Chase is gonna end up doing a collab with Croc. Ooh, <laughs> that'd like be dope. The Chase Camo Croc. Well, they're so expensive now. Yeah. I would love a. I would love a collab. They're just rubber. I know, and they're so freaking expensive. It's because the market, I guess. Supply and demand, baby. I know. So jumping into coffee of the day. I had an energy drink. I'm thinking too. I was gonna say what we had last weekend. Did you not get one with Leah, or Jess, or anyone? No, nope, I haven't, I didn't, um, I was just gonna say from the weekend, we went away to a wedding in Ashland, Virginia, yep. and I got a Starbucks for the first time in probably six months. Yeah, but, um, it was pretty good, and I like Starbucks. Yeah. They make a good ma- caramel macchiato. I like Starbucks, but I don't love Starbucks enough for their new price hikes. Like, you're charging us for less ice. That and Harris Teeter, yeah. don't even get me started on the, Harris Teeter. The price hikes that have been happening, like, I just can't justify that. Yeah, we went, because we came back on Sunday, and we got salt and vinegar chips, case Sand- of beer. Sandwich stuff. Sandwich stuff. When we say sandwich stuff, bread, meats, not cheese. Mm-mm. A bottle of red vinegar. Yeah. My and I got a, a pack, or like the little sushi stuff. And I got Ezekiel English muffins. $95. Yep. Then we went to Aldi. <laughs> got a week's worth of meals at least four yeah four meals breakfast lunch and dinner 102 yep it's ridiculous out there folks but yes starbucks yes but sorry this is not a podcast about the crummy market this is a podcast about true crime so (laughs) yes which is it's crazy it is crazy so i was actually today's case nobody else has covered it only one snapped episode has covered it oh yeah you told me about this yeah and I found the family's link to the Snapped episode because I couldn't get it without paying it. But then I found it and I was like, oh my gosh. And I watched it. I am shook that nobody else has covered this case. Like, honestly. And I, low-key, I'm actually ticked because I wish I was doing this case for video. But I don't want to make you guys wait. Okay. Well, I'm excited. And you said it's in from near around us, right? L- literally, it's in this town surrounding Charlotte. Mm. which also that's not the reason why i picked it the reason i picked it is because i've said on here i'm like i'm really in the mood for a case of like like a twist like i needed a twist because i feel like the serial killers they're pretty predictable they grew up on a farm they killed people they've played with dead animals yeah, played with like, cats. Okay. Yeah. but i needed something to get my juices flowing again for true crime well let's get it let's get it so a twist. <laughs> it's a twist so hold on I'd I'm holding up. on. I'm buckling up. So today's case, I also learned in the same token today that I was like in this like women killer thing and I learned that America houses the most female inmates in the world. We have the most women imprisoned in the entire world. I feel like we just have the most people in prison too, uh, probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our rehabilitation structure is so bad. Yeah, like pris- prison prisoners and probably homeless is probably we're top dogs. Yeah. Gotta be one at something, right? Yeah. So our story today takes place in our little home state of North Carolina. On the morning of July 23rd, 2013, when 59-year-old Chuck Reeves arrived at his fiancée, Shirley Goodnight Pierce's home, around 9.40 a.m. Her middle name is Goodnight. Her last name. 
Her, yeah, she has two last names. Goodnight was her maiden name, and Pierce. Was I was about her. to say, like the family, yeah. really. But that's like kind of a cool name. It is a cool name. Goodnight, Shirley. Goodnight. Yeah, that's a cool name. It's a cute name. I like that. There's a lot you could do with that. It's very, it's very North Carolina. Like looking at her, I was like, she's a North Carolina girl. Like, oh, did you? Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. The mm. vibes. I'm picking up on them now that I've lived here. I've never know. been able to. So what? Pick up on the vibes? No, never. No. Well, where we are, like, no one actually is from Charlotte any- that it's lives here anymore. So. like a melting pot. Yeah. Around 9.40 a.m., Chuck entered the home and yelled out to Shirley, but he got no answer. Chuck moved around the house, calling out her name, but though Shirley's car was in the garage, it didn't seem that she was home. Chuck made his way to the bathroom, and he found his fiance, Shirley, dead in the bathtub with the water still falling down on top of her body. This was an extremely gruesome crime scene. There was blood everywhere. The walls, the floor, the bathroom, the counters, the toilets. Chuck couldn't bear the sight of the love of his life brutalized in the bathtub, so he ran outside and dialed 911. Chuck told the dispatcher, quote, Oh my god, I just arrived here to my girlfriend's house. I think she's been killed. Chuck then asked if the dispatcher was sending police, and the dispatcher told him she was sending, quote, everybody. The the dispatcher asked Chuck, who was gasping, trying to catch his breath, quote, do you think she's beyond help? Chuck said yes. The dispatcher then asked Chuck to go back inside and check for a pulse to confirm whether Shirley was dead. And Chuck told the dispatcher that there was blood all over the bathroom floor and what appeared to him to be bleach and white marks on the floor. The dispatcher then asked, quote, can you tell if she was stabbed or shot? At this point, Chuck was outside and he really didn't get a good look at what had happened to Shirley, just that something had happened to her. And Chuck Reeves said he couldn't tell if Shirley was stabbed or shot, just that there was so much blood everywhere. He told dispatch, quote, I can't go back in there. And he began crying. Hmm. I mean, yeah. How like if that happened to one of my people I cared about, like my fiance or you or anyone like. My fiance or you. Well, no, I'm just like, I'm just trying to like anyone you loved, like a loved one. Like, yeah, go back in there and check her pulse. Yeah, no, 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 thank you. I would be like, I'm not looking at that ever again. I'm I'm very much okay with sitting out here and waiting for a professional. For someone else to go check her pulse. I'm not doing that. And once we talk about her, it was evident there was no pulse. I mean, she was brutalized. So the fact that most people would probably think, well, if it was my loved one, I would be Mm -hmm. like, not when they're ripped apart. I wouldn't do that. You know. Officers arrived at the home of Shirley to find a more than puzzling crime scene. While it appeared that Shirley's home had been ransacked, there was obvious signs that her killer had tried to clean up after themselves. There was a very thick trail of blood leading from the master bedroom into the master bathroom. Shirley was still wearing her pajamas, meaning that she was either woken up or had just woken up when the person who'd killed her entered the home. Rowan County Sheriff's Major Chad Moose told the docuseries Snapped, quote, I could smell an odor of bleach. When I entered the bedroom, I could see a lot of blood on the floor. The medical examiner performed an autopsy and declared the cause of death to be stabbing. Shirley had multiple stab wounds on her neck and face and defensive wounds on her hands. The blade of a knife was broken off and lodged deep into her throat. Oh, God. Yeah. The overall brutality of the crime, how many times Shirley had been stabbed and where, suggested that the killer knew her and that this was personal. Forensic pathologist Dr. Clay Nichols showed that, quote, Shirley Goodnight Pierce suffered a painful death when she was stabbed so violently that the knife used by her killer broke off in her neck. Yeah, that's what I was about to notice. Mm-hmm. Like, you stabbed her so hard the knife broke. Yes, yeah, severing her carotid artery and her jugular vein. Dr. Clay Nichols also noted the number of bruises, scratches, and superficial stab wounds on Sherry Pierce's body. Nichols said that she had a stab wound to the forehead, a cut straight down between her eyebrows, a bruise on her nose, and a bruise on her cheek, as well as many injuries consistent with nail scratches or marks. There was various short and long cuts on Sherry's body, including on top of her head, her nose, her chin, her cheeks, and she also had stab wounds to her left thigh that the doctor said were a result of a bladed object. Sherry Pierce also had cuts on both hands and the palms and back of her hands, and as well as all up and down her arms. God damn. Yeah. Dr. Nich- Sounds like she fought, though. That was going to say, Dr. Nichols said that the cuts to Sherry's hands were defensive in nature, and he further explained that some of the cuts and scrapes to Sherry's hands likely came as she fought back against her attacker. Yes. So it makes you wonder what the other guy looks like. Or the other girl. <gasps> 
Dr. Nichols said that Rowan County Sheriff's Office investigators requested fingernail scrapings, but Sherry Pierce's fingernails were too short, so there was nothing to scrape. Asked Nichols out of... Oh, wait. Never mind. Scratch, 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 scratch. Wow. I like it. Police ban... My goodness. We're going to be fucks. Police began to question Chuck Reeves, as, like in any case, the boyfriend, the husband, the fiancé are always the first suspected in their spouse's murder trial. This took place in Kannapolis, which is right outside of Charlotte. Oh, yeah. Kannapolis police didn't quite jump to the conclusion that Chuck had done this, as his reaction would have been extremely hard to fake, but they had to clear him as a suspect. Chuck told police that he last spoke to Shirley around 8.15 p.m. the night before. He was about to leave for a business trip, and he arranged to drop off his dog at her home the next morning as she would be doing the dog sitting while he was away. While on the phone with Shirley, arranging what time he'd swing by to drop off the dog, the call went dead in the middle of their conversation. It was late anyways, and the couple had already made the arrangement, so Chuck just assumed her phone died and thought nothing of it at the time and then went off to bed. Now, detectives do confirm that this area of Kannapolis where Shirley lived had really spotty cell service, so calls would drop all the time out here, and people who lived out here wouldn't really go through the trouble of trying to call someone back. Okay, because, yeah, I was about to say, if you just, like, dropped the call with me, I'd be like, excuse you. No. they Hello? They said it was, like, they thought it was weird, and then the more people they talked to, they're like, honestly, we don't really use our phones out here because it's so spotty, you can't get a signal. Okay. Chuck stated that the next morning he went by Shirley's and the front door was locked. There was no answer, so Chuck used a spare key to get in. And when he got inside, he saw some powder-like stuff on the ground, and so he made his way to the back bedroom. Detectives really wanted to make sure that Chuck had absolutely nothing to do with this before ruling him out as a suspect. So while he's explaining all this, detectives just flat out ask him, quote, did you have anything to do with your wife's or fiance's murder? Get right to the point. I like it. They were like, we're no nonsense. Yeah, I mean, why waste the time? Let's hear it, sir. Chuck said no, that everything was going fine. They were wedding planning. They were happy. He said that he had absolutely no reason to kill his fiance. He loved her, and he was excited that, as older people, they were both able to find someone they loved to spend the rest of their life with. Oh. It's, yeah. That's sad. When you see pictures of Shirley, you're going to... There's no pictures of Chuck. He didn't want any media attention. But seeing Shirley, I'm like, you can just tell she's a good person. Well, and he's like, when you said it, when he was 53, I was like, oh, wow, fiance. Mm-hmm. 59. Oh, yeah. Wow. He's 59. She's 62. Oh, mm-hmm. older woman. Police asked if they could take a look at Chuck's hands and his arms. Shirley had defensive wounds, meaning that she did try and fight off her attacker. So whoever did this to her would have had some remnants of a fight. But there was nothing. Chuck didn't have a scratch on him. Chuck's employer also notified police that Chuck was at work in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina at the time of the murder. Oh my gosh, he was driving far for work. Three hours away. Holy crap. Mm -hmm. So there was really no way that he could have done this. Yeah, I mean, I think the first tell sign is to look for someone who just looked like they got their ass beat. Right, yeah. Detectives stated that Chuck was absolutely devastated, but he was very cooperative. He wanted to find out who did this just as much as the Kannapolis Police Department did. Kannapolis? I can never say that. I have to think. Even when we're driving by through it, I'm like, Kannapolis. 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 Yeah. Kannapolis is a town located just north of Charlotte. So it's not a small... Like, I wouldn't say it's quaint. I would say it's more quiet, but it's definitely booming now. This was 2013, so world's different. Yeah, and even Charlotte's totally different in 2013. Yeah, 2013. So... The population now of Kannapolis is around 54,000, but it's still small enough for news of a brutal murder to spread pretty quickly. It's a town that's known for textiles, and it's filled with working-class families who travel in and out of Charlotte for work. Nothing bad or dangerous really takes place in Kannapolis, and it's very rare that something this violent and horrific would ever happen, especially in 2013. Yeah, and I'd still say Kannapolis is still quaint and quiet, like quaint town. You would say quaint? Yeah. Really? 100%. I would say quaint if it had like 4,000 people, but 54,000 is like kind of a lot. Yeah, but they have enough land. Like there's yeah. a lot of land. So it's, it's a chill town. Yeah, and like when you think of Kannapolis, it's like, yeah, I mean, it's a tiny, like it has a city street. Yeah. It has like a main street. It has like a minor league baseball team. Like there's stuff to do, but it's still very much like quiet. Mm-hmm. 
I, it's so funny you said that because I was literally on Instagram today and I was like, what city is this? And it was Kannapolis and I wish it still was here because it, it showed like all the quaint little town, the, mm-hmm. the, the city light. Like it's cute. It's it a is, cute little town. It is cute. Chuck was an absolute mess, so he really couldn't provide much information to the police and he was trying to get Shirley's affairs in order, contact her family. Shirley's daughter, Tracy, then arrived on the scene and Tracy was absolutely heartbroken. Shirley and Tracy were very close, and they were each other's support systems through everything. Detectives asked Tracy if there was anyone who would ever wish harm on her mom, and Tracy began talking about a guy named Richard, who was Shirley's ex-boyfriend. Ooh, yep, the ex. This is like the third case in a row that I've written about a bad Richard. Tracy told investigators that about 10 years ago, Shirley was in an abusive relationship with a guy named Richard. Shirley had taken out a restraining order against Richard several years prior to this as he'd shown up at Shirley's mother's house looking for her after their breakup. Tracy told investigators that Richard had even threatened to kill Shirley on some occasions, and one time even threatened to kill Shirley with a screwdriver. Okay, yeah, I mean, I'd say he's a good good suspect. He's plausible. I mean, I would assume so. Alarm bells are being stabbed with a screwdriver. That's Mm -hmm. good. Yeah, okay. Investigators learned that after 10 years of radio silence from Richard, he'd recently reached out to Shirley. Detectives believed that Richard was back in the area, and a few months prior to the murder, he had tried getting in contact with Shirley, which caused investigators to to steer their investigation in his direction. Mm -hmm. Almost immediately, detectives learned that Richard was working at a local pawn shop only 15 minutes away from Shirley's house. Detectives went inside and immediately shared that Shirley had been murdered, and they said that he reacted genuinely upset and almost heartbroken. Richard told investigators that their relationship had ended pretty badly about 10 years earlier. Detectives asked Richard about the abuse that had taken place in he and Shirley's relationship in the past, but Richard said that the charges against him were dropped and Shirley apologized for having him arrested. Still doesn't mean you did it. What? Like everything you said oh yeah yeah <laughs> like just because you dropped it didn't mean you actually did it i mean one, she either felt bad for it like. one of the detectives it was detective moose on the snapped episode when he said because he's the one that shared that information he was like he basically shared that like charges were dropped and surely apologized he kind of like rolled his eyes at like dude you're not innocent that doesn't yeah she that just doesn't, like yeah <laughs> she just wanted to go separate ways yeah regardless detectives wanted an alibi so they asked richard where he was the night of july 22nd Richard said that he had worked a 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. shift at the pawn shop, and then he went home. He said he never left his house again, but he said he went to bed around 9 p.m. Richard lived alone, so this made it very difficult to verify, but detectives asked Richard if they could see his hands and his arms, and they were clean. No Mm. scratches, no cuts, no wounds, not a trace on them. There was also another reason, though, why detectives didn't believe that Richard was their guy. It was evident, upon meeting him, that Richard did have some sort of health problem, and he could barely stand just having a conversation with them. Oh, wow. Shirley fought off her attacker, and she fought them hard, so whoever did this had to have some sort of stamina, and it was apparent that Richard wasn't really in his prime to do this no obviously not i mean if it took him so much just to stand and talk and they were only talking for like 10 minutes yeah so yeah there's no way no at this point detectives had no idea who could have done this and they believed that they'd exhausted all of their leads as news of shirley's death spread throughout southern north carolina the kannapolis police department received a call from a man asking to be called back The detective called the man back and learned that this man was named Irvin Johnson. Irvin was extremely agitated on the phone. He couldn't calm himself down. He was frantic. Irvin Johnson was the chief financial officer of Tuscarora Yarns. Tuscarora Yarns was established in North Carolina in August of 1899. And up until this case, it was the oldest and largest specialty yarn manufacturer in the United States. I would even have no idea about that yarn. That's funny. Yarn. Yarn. <laughs> yarn. I got and then you this freaking case made it close down, and that made me really sad. Well, uh, well, no, I'm sad for her too, but I'm just saying, like, it sucks. No, I'm when... saying, like, why are you spoiling it? Oh. Were you going to take that later on? Well, I, no, I, no, I was going to say that. Oh, well, damn. What? Why did they close down? Because it just gave the company such a bad name. But why? You'll see. Oh, poor yarn. I know. 
Irvin called investigators and told them some very chilling news. Irvin told police that not only did he believe he knew who murdered Shirley Goodnight Pierce, but that he suspected his estranged wife, Marlene Johnson, was responsible for the murder. Damn, he's snitching. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he said, oh, I know the person. He was like, wait, I got this. So let's talk a little bit about Shirley, Chuck, Irvin, and Marlene. We've got quite a few key players in this game. There's a lot going on. So Shirley Goodnight Pierce was born on August 11th, 1950 in Mooresville, North Carolina. She was the daughter of Joel Preston Goodnight and Mary Neal Loving Good Goodnight. Loving Good Goodnight. Loving Good Goodnight. Wow. It's a mouthful. That is a A lot lot. of good. (laughs) Hopefully. Shirley attended and completed her education in the Rowan Salisbury School District in Salisbury, North Carolina. Mm Mm-hmm. Shirley's friend, Donna Harkey, said, quote, She was just so pleasant, so outgoing. She was just beautiful, just a good all-around person. Shirley grew up in a loving family. She had brothers and sisters, and she was raised to have big dreams, work hard, and to be kind. Shirley was known to make friends wherever she went, and everyone, or almost everyone, absolutely adored her. Shirley worked as an executive assistant at the Charlotte Motor Speedway in Concord. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. As we would say it up north, Concord, but how they say it down here is Concord. Concord, yeah. Yeah. For Humpy Wheeler. Do you know who that is? I have no idea who Humpy Wheeler is. What a name. (laughs) What a name. (laughs) My goodness. I was like, when I saw that, I had to reread it three times because I'm like, there's no way his name's Humpy. Humpy Wheeler. But Shirley was a member of and attended Central Baptist Church in Kannapolis. Now, I did look up why his name was Humpy Wheeler. Humpy was born in Belmont, North Carolina in 1938. He eventually got the nickname Humpy from his father. Wow, what a lovely name. Yep. Because when he was in college, his dad caught him smoking camel cigarettes and the camel's hump, like on the pack. So his dad started calling him Humpy. It's just nothing good about it. I feel that. like that's an inside joke. Yeah, like, and you don't need to tell everyone about it. Now his whole name's Humpy. Well, he went by Humpy. That's so funny and weird, but... Humpy okay, Wheeler Humpy. of the Charlotte, North Carolina Speedway. Hell yeah, I bet you he got around. Oh. In 1970, Shirley married a man named Randall Pierce, and together the couple had a daughter, Tracy. Eleven years later, they divorced in 1981, and to p- support herself, Shirley got herself a job as an administrative assistant to Martin Foyle at Tuscarora Yarns. Oh, the yarns. The yarns. That is so funny that there used to be, like, mega facilities for, like, yarn. Mm-hmm. Now it's probably all, like, overseas. <laughs> yeah, and this one was in 2013, so it's like it stinks because it was here and it so was clo- working. Yeah. And then, yeah, now it's overseas and... No more humpy yarn. No, no more. No, he was at the Charlotte Speedway. Well, I know, but I just yeah. like saying humpy. Humpy. Tuscarora Yarns was a textile mill based in Rowan County, North Carolina, and Shirley thrived at Tuscarora Yarns. And she was known around the office not only as an extremely hardworking employee, but also an extremely kind employee. Shirley was willing to do whatever it took to get the job done. And she'd stay late, she'd work hard, and she'd do anything she needed to in order to help the company see success. In her free time, Shirley organized charity golf outings and gala dinners, and she even became a grandmother to her daughter Tracy's baby boy. Oh, well, yeah, she's living a good life, working she, hard. Yeah, she's just literally... Selling yarn. Chilling. Uh-huh. I wonder what all that yarn went to. Like okay. TJ Maxx's and Michael's. Maybe. I mean, like, honestly, when's the last time you saw yarn? I know. Or was it, like, field well, yarn? <laughs> I don't know. I'm getting way too caught up in this yeah. yarn company. But, like, she, I haven't seen you, a yarn business. You pick one thing out of each case that has nothing to do with the case, and you fixate on it. I know. But, like, I like it. Yarn. Yarn. Like, where who were you selling it to? What were you doing with it? Was it field yarn, like, for farmers? Like, was it like that type of yarn? Or is it, like, the knitting yarn? Because I don't find many activities that you need yarn. Other than knitting. Knitting, textile making. I know, it must have been a big boom back in the early days of North Carolina. <laughs> 2013. Well, that's when they died off. Probably the height was probably a little bit earlier, maybe. Who knows? I'll, okay. I'll look it up after the episode. Chase will cover a case on the history of yarn. I possibly will. Then, in the late 2000s, Shirley began dating Chuck Reeves, a textile salesman. 
Shirley and Chuck had met through work, and the two quickly fell head over heels for one another. Together, they loved the outdoors, so they spent a lot of time outside, walking and exploring, and they also loved being a part of the Austin Healy Car Club and traveling to new places. That's cool. Friends and family have constantly said that Chuck and Shirley never met a stranger. Honestly, now that you talk about them, they're so North Carolina. Like <laughs> I, I told you. Yeah. I was like Working no. at a yarn company. I'm a salesman. I'm a traveling salesman. Yep. And we go to car shows. Car shows, Charlotte Speedway. We're hanging out with our friends in town. Outside. Like, yeah, they're so North Carolina. I was like, these. this is like the epitome of a North Carolina Yeah, case. if you don't like outside activities, you can't live here. No. It's Mm-mm. like only really the only thing to do. Mm-hmm. At this point in our life, Shirley was also involved with Heinz Feet Farm. And helps provide unique. Huh? <laughs> no, it's not what you're thinking. Feet, feet farm? I'm so tired of farms. No, it's not. Um, it helps provide unique and innovative programs for adults with traumatic and acquired brain injuries. So why do they call it the feet farm? I think it's just supposed to be cute. I don't, um, okay. I was like, oh my God, they sell feet. <laughs> Shirley was really what you'd think of as like a North Carolina mama. Like, She was beautiful. She was happy. Her friends called her a ray of sunshine. She was known as always put together and very well-spoken. Shirley was intelligent and very much involved in the community, and the community absolutely adored her. The couple, Chuck and Shirley, dated for four years before getting engaged in the spring of 2013, only a few months before her murder. Mm, That's sad. Irvin Johnson was the chief financial officer at Tuscarora Yarn. Now you're getting farm and yarn mixed (laughs) up. You just missed the feet part. Tuscarora yarn. And there's really not much known on him. Between him and Chuck, they definitely kept a low profile. But then there was Marlene Johnson. Marlene Johnson was born in 1952 into a wealthy family in Gastonia, North Carolina. And as per the show Snapped, she led a very, quote, special life. Marlene came from a family where she got everything she needed, wanted, and was never told no. An acquaintance named Amy Christie told Snapped, quote, She wasn't used to not getting her way. You could tell that. She was not used to somebody telling her no. Ugh, worst type of people. Yep. Marlene was known as dressing to the nines, always dolled up in makeup. She was always in her Sunday best, speaking very eloquently, and she made it known to everyone that she had nice things and she was the best. Marlene was five foot five, in great shape. She was blonde. Again, she was always put together. She had the big blonde hair. Quote, Marlene always turned heads everywhere she went. Then... And where was she, was she working at this yarn factory? No, she's dating Irvin Johnson. Oh, no, okay. she's married to Irvin Johnson, who the was CFO. the CFO. Yep. Yeah. Then, in 1983... 31-year-old Marlene married 36-year-old Irvin Johnson, who was on the path to becoming a very successful executive. But Marlene and Irvin were very different. Polar opposites, in fact. Marlene was extremely friendly and outgoing, always wanting to be around people, meeting new people, hanging out, going out, putting herself out there. Irvin cherished minding his own business and busying himself with his work. Mm, I like you, Irving. My types of people. Mm-hmm. That is very chase. Mm-hmm. Irvin was soft spoken, but you're you're outgoing. Like if you put you in a setting, like you were yeah, dancing true. away I mean, the other day at the wedding. Oh, I was getting my happy feet on, <laughs> but I was comfortable. Yeah. I know those people. Those people know me. You did it at my mom's wedding. Okay, I was drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I I can do both when yeah. I'm comfortable or just a little tad bit you... tipsy. But I still like when I first showed up. I'm not like. Very much like, but once I like met your cousins, yeah. I met mm-hmm. your uncle, your I know your parents, I met your mom's friends, like you get comfortable. Once I'm comfortable, I'll be the most outgoing person ever. But if I don't know you, I'm, I'm very reserved. Yeah. I'm I very to myself. You're, you're more reserved. You're not soft-spoken. No, no. You're not, you're not a soft-spoken person. No. I say it with my chest. Yeah. Irvin was very soft-spoken. He was never outgoing. He always kept to himself and his focus was solely on his job. However, all things considered, Irvin and Marlene made their marriage work, and ultimately, they invited a baby girl into their world. To those outside the marriage, the couple seemed really happy and really in love. Despite their difference in personalities, they had a very happy and prosperous life for over two decades. 
Irvin made great money and Marlene got to spend it. Oh, of course, Marlene. You've just been living this life your whole life. Money Marlene. Oh, I like that name. It's believed that Marlene also received an inheritance as her family had been very wealthy from some restaurant work in Gastonia. Marlene didn't work outside the home, but she kept her home very tidy. And like, if you're a stay-at-home mom or you work or you just like choose not to work for because your partner makes money, like, go ahead, go off. Marlene, I mean, yeah, if the husband's cool with it, yeah. I mean, why not? Like, wait, like again, we don't yuck someone else's yum. I mean, if I, shit, if you came to me and was like, I'm making good money, you can quit your job and come home, I'd be like, where's my apron? <laughs> Jay said he's still waiting for that day. I am because I would do. I already have it pictured. I'd play golf every morning, and then I'd come home and be the best house husband I could possibly be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't care. But I would work from home, and I'd be micromanaging you of what you. Yeah, I'll no, see. That would be the problem. <laughs> I would have to kick you out. Yep. On the snapped episode, they shared the details of Marlene's life, and it was stated that Marlene had been combating mental issues all throughout her life. And in 2003, she'd attempted to take her own life after having a nervous breakdown. Marlene had tried to take a substantial amount of pills to overdose, but it didn't work and she was rushed to the hospital. After that incident, Marlene and her husband, Irvin, their relationship really started deteriorating as Marlene had become pretty domineering and extremely cruel. Irvin said that everything inside of Marlene changed. She became unbearable, intolerable, and extremely hard to live with. Quote, she was not in her right frame of mind, it seemed like. It seemed like she was very erratic. It was also at this point that Marlene had become physically abusive towards Irvin and had even threatened to kill him on some occasions. Oh, so she's, yeah, she's going down a bad path. Bad path. When detectives were interviewing Irvin, he was able to show them a scar from an incident where Marlene had stabbed him. Oh my God. Yeah. Irvin said that Marlene was an extremely jealous person. And a person who's driven by ego and an overall possessive person. And loves the attention. Yep. Every job that Irvin had, Marlene had caused issues at. And she would do this by seeking out the pretty women who were not married and targeting them. Ugh. Why are you like this? It said that Marlene would meet these women at her husband's workplace and concoct this story in her head that they were having an affair and she made it incredibly toxic, not only for her husband, Irvin, but also these women. Yeah, that's awful. Like, why would you do that? Oh, she, I mean, I get it because you probably have mental illness. But, like, you cannot be doing that. No. Like, that's just aggressive. Like, mm-hmm. my goodness. Because, like, how is he ever going to work anywhere? And he's an executive. Yeah, he's making good money. He's a mm-hmm. CFO. Mm-hmm. My goodness. Simultaneously... Irvin's life was really thriving, especially at work. In 2006, he took over a position of chief financial officer at Tuscarora Yarns. Now, since Irvin was in a new role and an executive, he was now required to meet some new folks, both internally at the organization as well as externally. This is when Irvin met executive assistant Shirley Goodnight Pierce. (sighs) Irvin and Shirley quickly became friends, and Shirley was someone who could bring anyone out of their shell. The two developed a very close and very healthy work relationship, and Irvin even had Marlene come into his workplace so that he could introduce her to Shirley in 2007. Okay, that why would you do that? I, think, I mean, I guess you could want to do it to be like, look, she's like, look, a good person. Going on. Yeah, yeah, we're just, she's a good person. She's not going to do anything dumb. Please don't ruin this for me. No, and I think too, like, Maybe she, there was, they didn't say what the specifics of her coming in was, but maybe there was an event or they, you know, wanted to meet her. Like, I, I know, just with her past, yeah. you probably want to be like, please come meet her so you don't think I'm literally doing it. I don't want to get stabbed again, please. Yeah. So now the meeting didn't go how Irvin had expected it to I'm go. I'm shocked. When Marlene met Shirley, Marlene viewed Shirley as a threat. And every insecurity that Marlene had was brought to light. When Irvin introduced Marlene, Shirley had walked up and said something like, Hi, honey. How are you? And like put her hand on his arm. That to Marlene was... uh, Shirley just put a target on herself with Marlene because that is the moment that everything changed. I mean, I can get it. I mean, I'm not not like crazy woman but like touching another man but here's the thing okay like now living in north carolina for a year oh i know they're so nice they are so nice 
And the way they talk to you is like, honey, sweetie, ma'am, miss, sunshine. Like, it's a lot of loving names. And I don't find that to be as strange now. No, I don't either. But I like the touching him uh, that I mean. But here's here's how I think it went. And again, like this isn't confirmed. I feel like she walked up from behind and maybe was like, hey, honey, like that weird thing. And then she was like, how are you? And then like met. Yeah, no, I totally agree. But with a crazy woman. With a crazy woman. Yeah. We're going to use the acronym in this and going forward BSC because I'm trying not to swear. But we'll say BSC for batshit crazy. Oh, okay. BSC, okay. Okay. Because Marlene was very BSC. Irvin said that from this point on, Marlene became fixated on Shirley Goodnight Pierce. Oh, I have no doubt. Marlene had a lot of anxiety caused by Shirley, and that anxiety was caused because of Marlene's belief that she had just met the woman that her husband was having an affair with. She questioned Irvin about it. He denied the affair, and he just said that Shirley was a close friend from work. I looked up the company. It's pretty small, so it would make sense that people here become very close. But Marlene had ingrained herself so deep into this belief that her husband was having an affair that she went out and hired a private investigator, Cynthia Gunther, on September 12th, 2010, to learn the truth. I mean, yeah, and Canapolis at this time was very small. Like, I think everyone was nice and everyone knew each other. When I watched the Snapped episode, everybody in the town knew each other. That's what I'm saying. Like, this is like, like, everyone knows you. And that's another thing why Irvin didn't bring up the fact that she was, like, dating someone else. Right. Like, I mean, I probably, he probably did. He probably did. It didn't matter. mm -mm. No, because Shirley was not the first woman that this had happened to. She was, like, the yeah. fifth sixth seventh eighth like yeah. he was probably like oh god and maybe he thought too if i introduce her to this one maybe she'll relax well, that's and it what i was thinking secret. Yeah, like, maybe but then she touched his arm yeah game over and not victim shaming at all like like at all that just is the moment that marlene was yeah like, we're not on this woman literally did nothing wrong it's oh my god, south no. it's the south it's very just everybody's kind yeah everyone's sweet everyone's mm-hmm. nice the private investigator followed urban and shirley She monitored their behaviors and their time spent at work. And after a few months, the private investigator came back to Marlene and said that she did not and could not observe any proof of betrayal and that everything she'd witnessed and trailed was all very professional and very appropriate. If Irvin wasn't home and wasn't at work, he wasn't with Shirley because she was with her family and vice versa. This went on for four years. The tracking, the trailing, the accusations, honestly, the BSC behavior. Marlene became obsessed with this fictional relationship that she'd created between Irvin and Shirley. Cynthia Gunther said, the private investigator, said that the more she didn't find on Shirley and Irvin, the more obsessed and bizarre Marlene became. That's like the opposite of what this whole idea was supposed to encounter. She was dead set on finding something. So weird. Mm Mm-hmm. Cynthia said that she actually told Marlene that she could no longer work for her because she, what she was asking her to do was not only unethical, but extremely frightening. Cynthia told the show Snapped that Marlene scared her, which was hard to do as Cynthia frequently worked on capital murder cases. That's impressive. Yep. Marlene became obsessed with Shirley. She began following her around. Marlene became very familiar with Shirley's day-to-day life, what she did, where she went, who she spoke to, and how she spent her time. Despite the lack of evidence that any sort of affair was taking place between Irvin and Shirley, Marlene remained obsessed with Shirley for years. Private investigator Gunther says Marlene hired another PI firm who used drones to track Shirley's daily movements. How did, like, Irvin not know about any of this? I don't know. Because it's his money. I know. From their surveillance footage that they turned over to Marlene, she would learn Shirley's garage door was usually left open. They also found out when Shirley went to the grocery store, when she went to work, who she spoke to, the route she took home. Shirley was fully aware that Marlene was obsessed with her and stalking her, but Shirley wasn't scared because she knew she wasn't doing anything wrong. So she just figured that Marlene would just one day, I don't know, get it. Uh, for on. years <laughs> yeah for years mm-hmm. no i would literally confront her after a while and be like you need to leave me alone <laughs> like seriously song i will literally uh, ugh, i'll call the cops every single day 
Shirley pretty much chalked it up to, yeah, whatever, she's paranoid, and I don't know why, but she'll figure it out and she'll find something else to fixate on. But the obsession turned to paranoia, and it even went as far as a physical altercation. In February of 2011, Shirley was at a local cafe in Concord, North Carolina, having lunch with her co-workers. Again, this is the Tuscalora yarn where Irvin Mm -hmm. works with all of those people. He wasn't there. All of a sudden, while Shirley is sitting there eating lunch with her co-workers, Marlene arrives at the restaurant. She's dressed in all black, a baseball hat, and sunglasses. She sat in a back booth while shielding her face with the menu, peering over at Shirley. And a waitress who knew who Marlene was and knew who this group was because they often frequented this restaurant, went over and was like, hey, Marlene's here. She's creepily hiding in the back of the restaurant looking at you. God, and this so is so annoying. That would just annoy me so much. It was so weird. Everybody at work had known that Marlene was like obsessed and stalking Shirley. So they were all like, wait, let's leave. Let's get out of here. This woman's BSC. Like, how did Ir- Irvin had to have known. Probably. Like, he had to have known all this was going on. He's like, Irvin, get your wife. Yeah, get your shit together, son. <laughs> like, God damn. Wife. They all get up and they leave. Everyone knew that Marlene had it out for Shirley. And when Marlene saw everyone get up to leave, she too got up and followed the group. Oh, that's not weird. Again, she's in all black. Yeah, like this, that's not sticking out like a th- sore thumb either. <laughs> the co-workers tried to form a protective circle around Shirley to get her safely into her car. But unfortunately, that didn't work. Now, the private investigator, Cynthia Gunther, also happened to be eating at this restaurant at this time. Because, you know, everyone in the whole town eats here, I guess, at the same time. Small town North Carolina things. That's why I'm like... The private investigator, the girl who hired her, and then the the actual, like, normal person Mm -hmm. in this whole thing is all all just eating at this diner. Okay. (laughs) Cynthia Gunther said that she was looking out the window, and she just saw Marlene dart across the parking lot, quote, like a gazelle, and attack Shirley from behind. Marlene grabbed Shirley's hair and began slamming her around on the pavement, punching her, kicking her. Then Marlene screamed out, quote, I will kill you for fucking my husband, as she punched and kicked Shirley repeatedly. The waitress... None of the friends were like... They were trying to pull her off, but they said... Everybody said that they were trying to grab Shirley. They said she was like an animal. They were like, she was holding on for dear life. So weird. The waitress said that it was really, quote, unexpected chaos that was over pretty fast. Marlene was then arrested and charged with assault, rightfully so, but the case never went to trial because Shirley dropped the charges. Oh my gosh. Shirley dropped the charges because she really didn't want to cause any waves for Irvin and make it uncomfortable for everybody at the workplace. But But there's already is. Everyone knows. (laughs) Who cares if she has charges? Yeah. uh, Yeah. She like, what's the difference? Your wife still beat me up. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, that makes no sense to me. I'm sorry. You're too kind. Like, that's, you're too nice. But she did file a restraining order at this point. She filed a restraining order against Marlene. Okay, but why not charges? Like, that makes no sense to me. Shirley told her friends and family that she was hopeful that this restraining order was enough to get Marlene to just freaking leave her alone. Which, like, she's probably like, lady, I don't want your husband. I am currently in my own wedding planning. I'm a, yeah, I literally have a fiance. Right. When Irvin got word that his wife had just assaulted his coworker in front of his other coworkers for this fantasy affair, he too went out and filed a restraining order against Marlene and Whoa. moved out of the house. Oh wow, okay. Good. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least good. Again, like he's a soft-spoken guy, so he's probably not going to confront his BSC wife because like he's like I don't know, she's stabbed me before. I can't tell her to knock it off. She's threatened to kill me. I'm just going to leave. Oh, God. Yeah, she's... Yeah, I mean, like... I mean, good on you, though. Mm -hmm. Like, don't accept all this BS. While in conversation with the detectives, Irvin shared that he was 1,000% sure that Marlene was the one who murdered Shirley and that he would be next. Irvin broke down and told investigators that he was in fear of his life and he didn't know what to do and he didn't want to be blamed for this murder. Irvin then takes a photo out of his pocket... And it's a photograph of Marlene at a restaurant with a guy named Tim Connor. Hmm, okay. Tim Connor had become a confidant for Marlene, and Irvin said that the police really needed to go talk to him, as he would have the full story. However, before they went and found this Tim Connor fella, they executed a search warrant on Marlene's home and her vehicle. But when they arrived at Marlene's home, Marlene and her car were nowhere to be found. 
So the police issued a be on the lookout, a bolo, for Marlene and her whip, which they quickly found parked at her attorney's office in downtown Salisbury. Oh, that makes, that's not suspicious or weird at all. She's like, it's a coincidence. Also, she's definitely sleeping that Tim Connor did. No. Really? Normally the ones that always accuse you of cheating are the ones that actually are doing it. She was someone who used her looks to get what she wanted. Makes sense, but that's still a form of cheating. Yeah. I mean, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want you having lunch with a woman without And I come knowing. home and I'm like, yeah, I got what I wanted because she thought it was hot. <laughs> so I just flirted with her until I got what I wanted. That is that. Why are you upset? I would only want you to do that if it was like for me. Like I finessed this, I don't even know, Gucci bag I think down. you still enjoy it, but be like, don't do that again. <laughs> like, thanks for the bag. But, but like, don't do that. Don't. Yeah. When detectives enter into the attorney's office, Marlene's attorney instructed her to cooperate fully with police and just go with them. Marlene was then taken down to the Rowan County Sheriff's Department to await questioning. While she's waiting, police search Marlene's car, and in the trunk, they found a hefty amount of cleaning supplies. These cleaning supplies were believed to be the same supplies used at Shirley's home only a day before. They also found stacks of Shirley's mail, which Marlene would not be able to obtain without going to Shirley's home. Yeah, that's also a felony. <laughs> it's like... It's very much a felony. Stealing like, other people's mail is <laughs> a felony. She's not only a murderer, she's a thief. A thief. Well, and it's like, I don't know what the term is for actually stealing mail, but I, I know it is a felony. Like, you can get in a lot of trouble for stealing other people's mail. You're a malief. You're a mail thief. I'm a leaf. Okay. I'm a leaf. <laughs> Police then go into Marlene's home and they discover a myriad of things that pointed to Marlene having a lot of involvement in Shirley's death. The dining room was set up like a crime stopper's room. There were photos on the table, the wall, the chairs, all of Shirley, her house, her movements, her car, her work. It literally looked like a full on investigation of Shirley. There were notes about her. There were Google map photos. Quote, there were hours upon hours of work put in, a lot of effort, a lot of money, and it painted an obsession. Yeah, like here, here, just welcome to my crazy house and you can find mm -hmm. all the evidence you need. Oh, no, the woman who's been murdered? I don't know her. Oh, no, there wasn't These me. pins on my dining room wall? Uh, yeah, I was just no. a fan. <laughs> yeah, it's just a fan. Sorry. Of a woman who's like an assistant at a yarn factory. Yeah, to my husband. Yeah. Just before midnight on July 23rd, 2013, Marlene sat in an interrogation room with investigators about to go over what the actual for Rick is wrong with her. In the interrogation video, Marlene is basically lounging on these chairs. She has her big quaffed up blonde hair with her big sunnies on and she's just like asking for her attorney. She was this very like, I don't care. I don't care why I'm here. I don't need to be here. That's a waste of my don't time. Don't look at me. Don't photograph me. Please, those lights are too bright. Marley, um, Detective Moose said that she was acting bored, unbothered, and that she was acting the complete opposite of how you'd think someone would act if they were being accused of a murder they didn't commit. Yeah. She didn't answer any questions, and she kept denying any and all involvement. Then, Detective Moose looked at her arms. There were cuts and scratches all over her hands, all over her arms. Marlene had recently had a French manicure done, but half of the new nails were missing. The cuts on her hands looked like wounds that you'd get from a knife, from a scuffle that you'd get into while trying to stab somebody. Well, that's very specific. Mm -hmm. Detective Moose said, quote, To me, it was clear that she had used her hands in some kind of a situation similar to a fight, and then the cuts on her hands were consistent with the knife cutting her fingers as she was stabbing somebody. Once detectives saw Marlene's hands and photographed them as evidence, they believed that this... Her husband's story of Marlene's obsession with Shirley, the violent attack at the restaurant, and the creepy shrine in the dining room gave them enough evidence to charge Marlene with the murder. Marlene was charged with first-degree murder, and while she's being handcuffed, she's like, um, quote, so, like, what's your evidence? She's like, so do you like me? What's your evidence? What do you have on the me? The shrine? Do you think I'm cute? Jesus. This woman is... But it's just weird. Mm -hmm. Like, what is wrong? Like, that's just weird. But people are so weird nowadays. And in 2013. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, I mean, like you couldn't like find a hobby. There wasn't something you could, you know, do for fun. Mm -hmm. Were you that bored? Police arrest Shirley and they toss that bee in a cell. 
and then they go out and they talk to Tim Connor, the other guy that Irvin Johnson told them to check out. Tim Connor answered the door and he agreed to an interview with detectives. And Tim was pretty chill. He wasn't anxious, wasn't worried. Tim Connor was a published author and a motivational speaker, and he and Marlene had met at a book signing. Tim said that it was a completely platonic relationship, and even though he did love Marlene, she was just a friend. Tim said that the two were never sexual, they were just friends. So you loved her, you met at a book signing, but just friends? Yeah. Okay. I don't think they ever slept together, I think, again, like, she was the pretty blonde, and he... I don't find her that pretty, but that's just me. And I don't find her all that in a bag of chips, but mm, that's just me. Now, the day before July 23rd, Tim told detectives that he'd had a medical procedure, and Marlene had stayed with him all night in case he experienced any complications. Tim said that he'd... that's weird. That's (laughs) weird. You have a husband who you are actively thinking is cheating on you, and you're obsessing over that, but you're like, I'm going to go stay and be by your bedside all night long. I was going to say, if you... Also, I'm sorry if you can hear a fan boxing. If you came to me and said, hey, I'm going to go sleep at my friend who's a girl's home for the night for something, I would be like, first of all, I know all your friends and like none of them, like I have no issues with any of them, but I don't need you to be sleeping at their home. No, that's uh, like you sleep here. There was more to that than Mm -hmm. she's they're both even leading on. Well, I don't think so. I I, I don't think so. You'll, You'll see. Tim said that he'd woken up two or three times in the night, and Marlene was there every single time. She never left. This gave Marlene a really solid alibi, as it puts her at Tim's house and not at Shirley's house at the time of the murder. Detectives were not buying what Tim was selling. No. And and despite how calm Tim was, detectives could tell that Tim was hiding something. So Detective Moose and his counterpart went back to the medical examiner's office to take a look at the knife that was plunged into Shirley's neck. And detectives were able to get a search warrant for Tim Connor's home. When they arrived back with the search warrant, Tim got very nervous. Uh oh. Detectives scour the home and they pull out this essentially steak knife set. It's a set of four, but one's missing. And when they pull that knife set out, Tim became very uncomfortable. And detectives were like, oh. Timmy, Timmy, Timmy. Timmy, Timmy, Timmy. Detective Moose and his counterpart turned to Tim and said, quote, is there anything you want to tell us? We'll give you one last out. And Tim's basically like, oh, yeah, okay. You know what? I wasn't fully honest with you. Fuck this bitch. <laughs> I don't Actually, you're 100% right. I was just. She threatened me. Yep. Tim tells detectives that he and Marlene had been together all day, but they did not spend the night together. He says that he had no idea where the knife went, but it disappeared after Marlene left. But Marlene asked him to go to breakfast the morning after the murder. So Tim met Marlene at a local diner, and Marlene came in and immediately asked Tim if he could say that she spent the entire night with him. Tim thought this was really odd, but they were really good friends. And this is where I'm saying, like, to be honest, I think he really liked her. Like, she was the hot girl out of his league, and the friendship was just the best he could get with her, so he agreed to lie. I'd still want to ask why. Why what? I'd be no. Why do you need me to say that? Because the first thing I'm thinking is, is I'm this is I'm hiding something from someone. (laughs) It's either the police or your husband. Why do I need to say this? Why do you need an alibi? Tim told detectives that, yeah, he thought it was really weird, but he wasn't going to question Marlene. This is when detectives said that Tim's demeanor went from calm, cool, and collected to, quote, groveling and begging. He told detectives that he had nothing to do with it, he had no idea what happened, and he couldn't believe that Marlene was even capable of doing something like this. Now, the detectives had taken the shower curtain from the tub where Shirley was found and they'd sent it in for DNA testing. So a little while after meeting up and finessing the truth out of Tim, a hit came back on the shower curtain that connected Marlene to that crime scene. So it was that missing piece. Love DNA. Love DNA. Criminals do not. No, they don't. Marlene's DNA was found on the shower curtain with Shirley's blood. There was no other DNA present on the shower curtain, so the DNA proved that Marlene had been at the scene of the crime. Investigators had been able to paint the entire picture of what had taken place at Shirley's home on the night of July 22nd, 2013. Marlene had taken her fantasies far beyond obsession, and it became a dark fixation on Shirley Pierce. Marlene had hit a point where she was so enraged at Shirley for this belief that she was sleeping with her husband, that Marlene followed her home, and when Shirley pulled her car into the garage, Marlene snuck into the house. 
Shirley was getting ready to go to bed, and while on the phone with Chuck, she was attacked from behind. This was not only a brutal attack, but a violent, rage-filled attack. Shirley was stabbed multiple times in the face, neck, and head while in her bedroom. Once Shirley had finally been beaten down, Marlene dragged Shirley from her bedroom to the bathtub. Marlene put Shirley's dead body into the bathtub, fully clothed, and turned the water on. Marlene then noticed that from the attack, she'd been cut. So she went outside, got some bleach from her car, and poured bleach all over the blood throughout the crime scene. This was her way of making it impossible for detectives to DNA test her blood and differentiate it from Shirley's. Marlene's trial began in January of 2018, and she was charged for first-degree murder of Shirley Goodnight Pierce. When Marlene arrived in court, it was apparent to the sheriff's department, the prosecution, and the two detectives who worked the case that this would not be an easy win for them. Marlene was very well put together. She walked with confidence, her hair and makeup were done, she was politely spoken, she was calm, cool, collected, and she did not come across as the angry, enraged, scorned lover that they were trying to paint her out to be. Okay, but are we going to forget the shrine in her house? <laughs> like, I... Jason's how like, do you... Just like, I would not be fooled. <laughs> no, because what normal human being would just have a shrine of a dead woman, but I didn't kill her. I just really liked her. I just really was obsessed with everything about her. <laughs> and I hated her. I fought her in the parking lot. But no, no, this is totally someone else. Oh, and my blood being there and... She brought it with her. like Right, and everybody in Kannapolis heard me scream, stop fucking my husband. And everyone, oh, even the private investigator? Mm-hmm. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. The way that people described Marlene walking into the court was, quote, untouchable. This trial was really dependent on not only witness testimony, but also her husband, Irvin's testimony. Oh, and he's a soft-spoken dude. Mm-hmm. They needed everyone who... Well, he's probably like, get that woman away from me. What do you need me to say? Yeah, like he's probably scared. Mm -hmm. They needed everyone who knew Marlene to paint the picture of who she actually was. The physical evidence in this case was very strong, and the DNA on the shower curtain was really the nail in the coffin. This, in addition to the obsession, the stalking, the cuts on her hands, the rage toward her husband, the erratic behavior at the cafe, the hiring of the private investigator, times two, really showed that Marlene was a BS crazy well, I, Yeah, gal. I'm sorry, but I don't know how they were so afraid going into this case. I would probably go in with much confidence. I'd ask two questions. Why is your blood there, and why do you have a shrine of her in your home? I'd ask. There's no way there's a good answer to that. I'd be like, what is wrong with you? Like, that doesn't make any, like, really. Like, why did you have bleach in your car? Oh. Why did you have a shrine? And why did you have blood at her house? Just wait till you hear this part. Marlene's motive was revealed in court through some threatening text messages <laughs> that she had accidentally sent to a random 15-year-old boy. Oh, great. I bet that didn't freak him out. <laughs> Marlene believed that this number belonged to Shirley and Alex Norton who was 20 years old at the time of the trial, testified that on the night of July 21st, 2013, he received a bizarre text message from an unfamiliar number. The text said, quote, Back off. You will not get Irvin over my dead body, you skanky whore. Oh, wow. I bet he was just so shocked. Alex wrote back, um, quote, I think you have the wrong number. Marlene, oh, I'd play along with it. I'd be like, yes, I do, bitch. <laughs> You know, huh? what you gonna do about it i'd be like i'm a big fan of Irvin. marlene wrote back quote is this shirley pierce alec texted no marlene then texted back quote sorry no <laughs> jk this was totally a joke uh, it was just, sorry just fooling with you sorry it might be investigators said that the threatening text had come from a cell phone that was registered to marlene johnson on january 24th 2018 the jury came back and found Marlene Johnson guilty of first-degree murder. When the verdict was read, Marlene made a loud, a quote, loud audible gasp and fell to the floor. One deputy rushed over to her, and a few other deputies ran over to help her, but the judge yelled at all of them to stop. The judge then told them, quote, do not help her and do not take her out of this courtroom. Yeah, because she's it's, just putting on yeah. a show. Like, she's, yep. she, like, how are you, <gasps> what are you confused about? <laughs> <laughs> what you were in the courtroom you saw all the evidence like you should have you should just gotten up and put your hands up the judge made marlene get up and said to her quote you are going to listen to this verdict hell yeah good on the judge the judge which i was thinking about this today i'm like i couldn't be a judge because i'm not cool and collected i would be like get up 
look at me sit straight like i would be literally be a crazy person well, judges after are the like, verdict though you can i guess because like it's when's that you don't have that's not your you can have an opinion i guess but judges always have these good one-liners that just dig they just dig hard and it's like yeah you're you can be a judge because you're you you got that well yeah and yeah i mean they're smart and they're yeah and you they, they see very so well much spoken, stuff yeah. yeah they see so much the judge then polled the jury to have each of them give their individual verdict, and it came back with 12 guilties. The judge then turned to Marlene and said, quote, it is my order that you will die in prison. Hell yeah. That's what I mean. Is it like, ooh. You know they sit at home, too. Yeah. Like, oh, let me, oh, this one's good. This I like is a this good one. one. This one's a yeah. good one. I like that. I'm going to use this on this one. Shirley told the judge, quote, well, I disagree with the decision. No, <laughs> I don't give a fuck. <laughs> You could take that right with you to prison. Enjoy <laughs> you can that. Ponder that. Yeah. In jail. Tell all your inmate yeah. friends. Quote: I am innocent. I was never there. I would not hurt anybody. I would not have killed Shirley Pierce. I literally would have started yawning as she started speaking to me. Well, Judge Albright just stared at her blankly and said, "Quote: Well, the DNA squarely contradicts everything that you just said. So I'm sentencing you to life in prison." And that was that was it. She was sentenced to life in prison. The friends and family of shirley's don't feel like justice was served they haven't come out and said it but but the way that they've said it is we didn't want her to live so i'm assuming they wanted the death death penalty penalty. yeah Yeah. and if they didn't want that and i'm putting words in their mouth i apologize i'm not meaning to i'm just based off of the things i read and heard well life for a life eye for an eye i mean i would probably want the death penalty if somebody murdered my mom or somebody in my family. Well, and the yeah. fact that there's no remorse, no. there's no "I'm so sorry." I'm trying to like negotiate. I, I'm with literally. The judge. I, you could, yeah. I'm crazy. Mm-hmm. I'm crazy. I'm sorry what I did. I don't. I'm gonna spend my life in jail, regretting everything. Like there was yeah. nothing like that. It was. <gasps> yeah. What? <laughs> get up. What you what? You swallow a bug? Like, come on, get your act together. Get your ass up. They feel like Marlene got it easy and that she gets to live out the rest of her life while Shirley was cut shorts. Yeah. Yeah. Tracy made a statement at the sentencing and turned to Marlene and said, quote, as a Christian, I'm supposed to be forgiving, but I could never forgive you for what you did. And if that keeps me from going to heaven, then I guess I'll meet you in hell. Oh, I like that one, too. Mm -hmm. See your ass in hell, bitch. There was no affair. There was nothing even close to an affair. Shirley and Chuck were in the stages of wedding planning, and neither one had eyes for someone else. Shirley was known as friendly, kind, loving, caring, and her death broke the hearts of not only her friends and family, but her community as well. Some of the things they said was, quote, I feel like she died for no reason. She died for the obsession of Marlene. Quote, Marlene is a coward, and it takes a really sick and terrible person to do what she did. Quote, this crime shook me to my core. And it's unbelievable what Marlene did. It's just unbelievable. Tim Connor was never charged in connection with the case, and to this day, Marlene still claims her innocence. Marlene is current. Yeah, Marlene is currently imprisoned at the Anson Correctional Institution. In- oh my gosh! In Pocton, North Carolina. We drive by that. Oh. In Anson County. Where? When? When we go to Virginia Beach. Remember we drove? Yeah, you remember we drove by Anson County and we talked about it every time we drive through there. Wait. Is it Anson, A N S O N County. Yeah. yeah, we drive by that every time to we go Wilmington to Virginia or Beach. Or to Virginia oh, it Beach. might have been Wilmington. I feel like oh, is that the weird town? Yes. <laughs> no, that's Anson. Oh my yeah. god, I'm really sorry if you live and there. And that's but that prison really we see me. every single time on <gasps> oh the right hand corner. God. Yeah, that's where she's at. Oh my god, Marlene. So we see your home, bitch. <laughs> I hope it's cozy. Oh my god. Yeah, no, that's it. That's Anson County, that town. Yeah, we were like, mm. Oh, yeah, because I said, I wonder what kind of criminals are in there. And you were like, I don't know. I haven't heard of that one. Oh, my God, Marlene. She's in there. We'll wave to you next time. No, we won't. Oh, I'll flick you off next I'll time. Drive through the building and beat okay, you myself. Okay, don't no, scratch that. <laughs> can't get in trouble. Who's no. going to? Who, mm. uh, whose car are we wrecking? <laughs> it ain't mine. My little Acura. Yeah, I was, you're not getting through the gate. The go-kart. Yeah, that ain't going to work. <laughs> Let's just let her rot in prison. Anyways, that was the case of Marley Johnson. Isn't it, nobody's covered that? She's crazy. It's a crazy one. She is crazy, and it's like, honestly, like, like poor Mar, like poor Shirley. She was so nice and sweet, and it's like she dropped the charges, and she didn't want to cause any like drama, and she was the nice one in this, and it's like, golly, like it was. She was like, yeah, I have a stalker. 
And she's like, oh, she'll go away. She'll go away. And After like, years. Even like, that's why friends and family were like, she, this woman literally died for nothing because there was nothing going on. She was the nicest person. She was so nice mm-hmm. to the point where she was like, I know, she's just... She has this weird thing in her head, but she'll get over it. And like, then she fights you in a parking lot in yeah. front of all your friends and, and coworkers. And you still don't charge her. Like, yeah, it just shows the type of person you were. Like, you're just sweet. You're forgiving. Did you look her up? No. Well, I thought, oh, yeah, her husband's the one that, or fiance. And that sucks for him, too. I it's know. Like, he literally was so happy to. And my thing is, she had this whole fixation in her head that the attack was truly so personal. Like, good God, they didn't even know each other. Oh, yeah, she does look sweet. I know, doesn't she? Yeah, she does. Oh, my gosh. That other woman, Marlene, is not pretty. She's a little scary. Yeah, she's scary looking. Yep. Oh, I guess somebody did cover it. I don't know who this is, but she covered it. Oops. Well, yeah, she's, like, pretty, has a nice smile. She seems happy. A North Carolina mom. Yeah, she does. She does look like a North Carolina mom. I told you. Anyways, that is our case of Shirley Goodnight Pierce. Very Ugh. sad one. And honestly, the other woman looks absolutely crazy. Yeah, she looks terrifying. She literally looks... I don't know what this whole idea of she thinks, like... That she's the cat's meow. Yeah, like, girl, you are... Mm. Mm-mm. But tomorrow we'll be recording our first video podcast. Um, I don't know the specific date when they'll all be up. Again, I'm trying to get all of the cases written. So if you enjoyed this episode, you can follow us on Instagram at... Crime with a K. If you want to send us a case, you can send it to... Crime with a K at gmail.com. If you want to, um, really, you know what? If you just want to do anything, my Instagram's at hello.kelsey. I'm private, but I do accept people. I really don't. Chase so. doesn't really use his. So. I don't. No. I really don't. I use I don't. Twitter. Yeah. But don't follow me because I don't follow people anymore. Yeah. Other than that, um, I guess goodbye. See you next week. Okay. Bye. Peace.